Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. My name is uh, Chris Moranti, and I'm senior pastor here at Evangel Church. We are a church with a long history. We're going on 100 years old next year. A woman in 1914 came over from Germany and started a small church in Elizabeth that, in 1982, transitioned here to Scotch Plains. We are a church in the suburbs. It's an upper-middle-class community here, right next to Fanwood. But we're also strategically located because right across our street is Plainfield, a place with a long history of affluent families that have been there for many generations, but also uh, a very diverse community, and one that is uh, very much in need, an urban center inside of this part of New Jersey. I began to pray and ask God to give us a vision for our community. We have to be more than just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to our people. And so as I prayed, I really felt a leading to reach out to local government in some way to get connected with them and find out what we could do to serve or be more outwardly focused. So we come together and we began to hear this amazing story of what happened in Portland. And I knew God was confirming that we needed to reach out to our mayors and our local government. So we had an appointment to see the mayor of Scotch Plains and we entered his office and he said, hey, you guys are the ones from Sandy. And so he, you know, he sort of recognized us. We had a good reputation with the town for coming together with them. We're just here to say, what can we do for Scotch Plains? And he was really taken aback. He kind of just took a step back and said, you know, I've never had a church ask me that question before. We asked him to dream. We said, if we can get hundreds of volunteers, how might we help you? So the, the mayor of Scotch Plains identified two groups of people that are in need. You have the seniors, who really he felt were in need of upkeeping their homes and needed some handiwork, and then the hungry, because they've really outgrown the needs of their food pantry. Over the years with the economic situation, more and more families um, are in need. They've either lost jobs or jobs have changed, and they're really, families are in need of food, and so the needs of the food pantry have grown significantly. So after talking to our mayors, we come together and we begin to pray about what we could do to reach out to our community. We came up with this crazy idea. What if we took a Sunday and we exchanged our service for serving others with the love of Christ? We began to pray about it, began to plan. We actually took a giant map on our wall and we split it into different zones. We split up Plainfield, Scotch Plains, Fanwood, the many needs, the different projects that we heard about, and then we pitched it to our congregation. As I'm in the middle of, of my pitch and, and trying to share it, they just burst into applause. It's like they've been waiting for this opportunity the whole time. We were amazed by the response. Over 800 people signed up to give up their service to serve others with the love of Christ. So the mayor of Plainfield, um, once we told her our idea about um, kind of going into the school playgrounds, identified one, one playground that's kind of center of all of the projects where she felt we could get a couple of hundred children to respond. And so she's opened that door for us to do a program and we're going to have music, food, crafts, and we're going to be able to tell um, the gospel. So in the midst of our planning for Service for Service and all the meetings that we've been having, Maria, who's uh, one of the key parts of this whole thing happening, brought up a quote to me that just has stuck with me. She said, why do we need to wait for crisis to show the love of Christ? I'm so excited because Jesus Loves Jersey has given us the opportunity to do just that. Hey, can we hear it for Evangel Church in Scotch Plains? That's pretty cool. Awesome to see one of our sister churches going out to uh, serve their community in Christ's name this fall. That's what the series Jesus Loves Jersey is all about. It's these local churches, kind of a grassroots movement. We're coming together to form one church, Jesus Church, capital C, and actually love and serve our state, no strings attached, in the name of Christ. 
I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. If you're new or visiting, I'm Pastor Tim. And um, this is kind of exciting for us because we have a big goal. We want to see over 5,000 followers of Christ get out of their seats, move into the streets this fall to, to feed the hungry, to clothe the homeless, to love the least. And I had a chance to meet Pastor Chris and his team uh, on Tuesday, in fact. And I had this, they, I love their radical idea, canceling services to be of service to their surrounding neighbors and towns, as you heard. Scotch Plains is a suburban uh, town, but they have urban neighbors in Plainfield. And so when they met with the mayor and said, hey, how can our church help? No strings attached. We're not doing anything. He was kind of taken aback. He's like, you serious? But as he saw the sincerity of their faith, this is incredible. The Board of Education in Plainfield is now sending school buses to the church to pick up the Christians and bring them back to the classrooms and playgrounds. That's pretty cool. I love that. Kind of obliterates that whole church and state, oh, you know, kind of thing. We got up in a vision about that. But here's the deal. That's our vision. We want to see bridges built between churches and schools, young believers, senior citizens, at-risk youth, and, and older mentors. And what we're doing is we're seeing Jesus do some cool stuff, breaking down ethnic and racial barriers and economic. Even last week, I told you about Raul Bergos, my new hermano in Cristo. Pastor of Comunidad Cristiana, a community Christian church in Elizabeth. We're excited to partner with him and his Spanish-speaking congregation in inner city Elizabeth. And now we have over a dozen evangelical churches have come on board. Churches like Hawthorne Gospel up in the north, predominantly white and Asian megachurch. They're partnering with inner city Patterson Ministry, New Destiny Family Success Center. They're going to be working with single-parent families, job training, working with at-risk kids. Down south, we've got Shore Fellowship there in Ocean County. And they're going to be working in Atlantic City, serving food to uh, the, the homeless and displaced, working with a local rescue mission there. And all told, Bible-believing Christians across our state, they're putting our faith into action, and catch this, wait for it, donating 10,000 hours of service to our neighbors. Is that pretty cool? I love that. And I want to thank you, because last week, so many of you signed up to serve. In fact, if you take out your program this morning you'll see we put in a yellow card that looks like this. Some of you signed up to serve last week. If you didn't, you have a chance to do that right now in this service. Just give us your name and your email, drop it in the bucket on the way out today, and I'll send you, I'll email you a link to all of the projects that your family can serve at. Here at Liquid, we have over uh, almost 20 projects at this point. In Morristown, we're going to be feeding the hungry and those infected with HIV. In New Brunswick, we're going to be renovating a shelter for victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence. In Nutley, we are going to be serving a steak dinner, actually, to the uh, struggling families and senior citizens. That, I'm going to serve at two shifts on that one. I'm looking forward to that. And then in Mountainside, we're hosting a fall festival for children with special needs. Yeah, let's hear it for that. They're doing rehearsal services right now. Wave to them. Hey, great job, volunteers at Mountainside. Now, here's the deal. Parents, I need you to pay attention. Lock in with me real quick. I want to encourage you, if you are a parent, to sign up to serve with your family. Because what happens in the fall is our schedules fill up with like, you know, soccer and school and back to school, all that stuff. But this is a soul-shaping opportunity for your kids, especially if you live in the suburbs. I told you last week I live in Madison. And this is kind of about teaching your kids to move their heart to those who are closest to God's heart. So what that means, moms and dad, is that sometimes you've got to unplug the Xbox and leave the suburban cocoon to help your kids engage with the needs of the real world. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, not the middle class in spirit, but serving the poor and the marginalized is at the center of discipleship and what it means to follow Christ. So you can also sign up to serve with your life group. And if you're not in a life group, we got signups for those happening right now. Just go to the Next Steps booth in your lobby 
we have a Life Group Connect event next week at your campus. Now, the question of the day is this. Well, why are we investing all this time, money, and energy doing this? Is it because we're a charity? No. The church is not a charity. There's actually a big difference. It's not because we're good people. In fact, this church is full of sinful, a lot of, a lot of sketchy people. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Hold on to your wallet, okay, even as I'm talking here. But we're just people. We're God people. We're not good people. We're God's people. And what that means is we follow Christ as our Savior and Lord, and so we do what he did, which is Jesus, we saw, went and ministered to people on the margins, not the mainstream but the least and the last, and we sacrifice to serve the poor because we know they're number one on God's agenda. And so this morning, what I want to do is I'm praying that God's going to open your eyes to see your neighbors in need in a fresh way. When I say neighbor, I realize that's a loaded word because a lot of you think of the person who lives next door, right? Oh, my next door neighbor. But in a state as large and diverse as New Jersey, it's actually 8.8 million people packed into 21 counties, the most densely populated state. The meaning of neighbor is hard to grasp. Because when you drive from neighborhood to neighborhood, town to town, Nutley is a neighbor to Newark. They're right next door. But are they really neighbors? Do they interact? If you live in Basking Ridge, why should you care about single moms in Bridgewater? What does upper class Cranford have to do with inner city Camden? Jesus actually addresses this very question, who's my neighbor, in the gospel of Luke chapter 10. So I'm going to invite all our campuses. Would you take your Bible, open up there to Luke 10, This is uh, one of the most famous teachings in the New Testament. It's a story Jesus told called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's the thing. Most of you know it. Even if you're new to church or you're like returning after being away for a while, most people know the basic story, right? A guy gets mugged. No one stops to help him. But then there's this twist at the end. What I want to do is I want to give you fresh glasses this morning so that you see this in a new way and think in a new way because God spoke to me in a profound way through this text. It kind of shook up my week, and I'm praying it's going to shake you up a little bit so you you see the cost of compassion in a fresh way. So let's look at this quickly, Luke 10, and then we'll unpack Jesus' teaching. Guy says to Jesus, hey, who is my neighbor? And here's what Jesus said. He told a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, gave him a beat down, and went away leaving him half dead. So it takes place in New Jersey, okay? Probably probably around Rutherford, right? (laughs) A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, that's another religious guy, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now watch. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That was like an antiseptic. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. That was two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, watch the twist here. (laughs) Jesus then asks a question. He goes, so... um, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replies, the one, I guess, who had mercy on him, you know? And Jesus said, yeah, why don't you go and do that, right? Now, when I look at this text, excuse me, and I think about this bruised and battered man bleeding on the side of the road, I actually think it's very similar to the state of New Jersey. We have taken an unprecedented beating over the last couple of years. In many ways, it started with Hurricane Irene 
in 2011. Then, of course, Hurricane Sandy devastated the East Coast last October. Hundreds of homes washed away, seasides roller coaster into the ocean. And this past year, people have spent thousands of hours rebuilding their homes and seaside the boardwalk open for business. And then we saw it burn to the ground last week in a four-block blaze. I think that was God's judgment on Snooky. I just think that's what it, I just, I'm going to say it. I know it's not politically correct. Son. Devastating though, right? That, that's, that's a metaphor for a lot of families in our state. They feel devastated because unemployment's just below double digits and homelessness, catch this, has increased 30% in New Jersey's major urban centers. So with the recession, the safety net for struggling families now has few holes, and, and many of our neighbors are kind of falling through. So when I look out of my little suburban cocoon in Madison at the wider needs of our state, my heart gets challenged by the story Jesus tells here in Luke 10. Because in a lot of ways, even though the story was told 2,000 years ago, you could see it taking place on Fox News or New Jersey Nightly, you know? In fact, let me give you the NJV version. You're reading the NIV version. This is the NJV, okay? A man was going down from Newark to Camden <laughs> when he was jumped by thugs, right? He's going to the aquarium. They, stri- <laughs> they stripped him of his Nikes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead, right? Basically, in Jesus' story, a guy gets gangbanged, right? But along comes two church people, woo right? who see him, and they're like, uh, ooh, not, yeah, thank you. I'm just getting in my Lexus. He's left for dead until a Samaritan offers him the one thing that I think our state so desperately needs. He has compassion for this hurting man. See, compassion isn't just sympathy. Sympathy means you feel bad. You get, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Somebody should help you. <laughs> it means you are deeply moved by their suffering so much so that you make it personal. You don't just feel bad. You're moved to action, to come alongside. The Greek word for compassion is splognizomai, and it means to feel it in the guts. Like, you'll do whatever you can to help alleviate their pain and their poverty. And so very quickly, I want to show you what Jesus teaches us. Four things about the cost of compassion. I believe if you look at these four things, in fact, I put them in your notes there. You can fill in the blank. And I think they're very relevant when you ask the question, hey, who's my neighbor in New Jersey? Because the first thing we see is that the priests and the Levites show us that restoration is more than observation. It's more than looking from the safety of our television into the lives of suffering people. It's more than, you know, looking at people's needs from the comfort of our luxuries and and our normal lives. Jesus says, you know what, actually, it's impossible for you to be my follower and passively observe the plight of the poor and shake your head and just go to the Short Hills Mall. Someone ought to do something about that. And Jesus is like, "Um, if not you, then who? If not the church, then let's close the doors. See, don't miss the twist here. Jesus says a priest and a Levite were passing from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Do you know what was in Jerusalem? Why were they going there? The temple. In other words, they were on their way home from church where they just presumably had heard the word of the Lord. They're religious people. They just come from a worship service. That's where you are right now. And so on the way home, my guess is they had all sorts of excuses for not stopping. You know, like, oh my goodness, the preacher. Lucas just went long, man. It was just like, it was a 12 o'clock service. took forever. Now we're late for lunch. There's a line at Chick-fil-A, you know. It's all... (laughs) It's closed on Sunday. It doesn't matter. All right. 
They did their duty at church. In other words, that's the danger for people like you and me. That we would go to church for an hour, sing a few worship songs, hear the preaching of God's word, and remain unchanged. Blind to the needs on our doorstep. In fact, stepping over our neighbors in need on the way home. That's what happens when your faith is privatized. When you hear with your head, but you don't hear with your heart. Parents, you know this. When you take your kids into a fancy store, you you typically say to them, right? You can look, just don't what? Just don't touch. With God's compassion... It's just the opposite. Touch, don't just look. Restoration is more than observation. You must see the need and then you must realize our neighbors aren't just next to us. Point number two. Jesus' story is the answer to the question, who's my neighbor? And in the suburbs of New Jersey, when we say, who's your neighbor? It's typically an easy answer. You say, oh, it's the family in the condo next to us. It's the guy across the street who puts his recycling out on the wrong day every time. I'm going to call the cops on that guy. I swear to you. It's the family with the kids in Little Lee, the kid with the little lazy eyes, a little squirrely next door. It's the one at the back of the school night. We think it's about proximity, sameness. That's what the suburbs foster. But Jesus challenges this notion. He says, no, 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 not so fast. Your neighbors are not just those who look like you, who live where you live or who drive what you drive, who vote how you vote. In fact, the person who helps the broken and battered man here was a Samaritan. He was a sworn enemy of the Jews. See, there was a deep hatred between Jews and Samaritans because Jews saw themselves as the pure descendants of Abraham. They shopped at Short Hills, all right? While the Samaritans were half-breeds. They went to Jersey Gardens Mall, all right? There was a total difference. We don't mix. And yet race doesn't matter to the Samaritans. He didn't see brown or black or white or yellow. He just saw red. There's a guy bleeding and no one's helping. Someone's suffering and I'm moved. His heart told him that his neighbor wasn't just someone who lived next to him. Rather, they're anyone of any race, creed, or social background who is in need that God puts in our path. So, yeah. Somebody, now we're getting, they're getting Pentecostal. You ready? I love it. Wake them up, kid. Wake them up. It means being a neighbor. You cross the road. You step over economic divides. You step over language barriers. You step over political differences, and you just meet the need. Let me shock you, because right now I see some of you glazing over. You're like, I've heard this story. Watch. The modern equivalent would be if I said, hey, good news, guys. I'm not preaching today. We have a special guest. Everyone welcome Jesus. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to be here with you guys. Uh, Love what you're doing in New Jersey. Um, Okay, let me tell you a quick story. Ready? There's a Muslim guy who gets mugged, and he's bleeding on the side of the road in Patterson. And as this Muslim guy lays bleeding, a Catholic priest comes down on one side, and an evangelical Christian comes down the other. Sounds like the warm-up for a joke, doesn't it? You know, (laughs) Muslim guy bleeding. Okay, so the Catholic priest, the evangelical Christian, see the Muslim guy on the street, and they say, oh, I don't know. We're not, like, you know, there's a whole terrorist thing. I just, I can't be, uh." they walk away. And then Jesus says, but now, along comes a Jewish lesbian driving a hybrid. And she pulls up and sees this Muslim man. And she bandages him up and puts him in the back seat of her Prius and takes him to the hospital where she pays the bill because Obamacare isn't covering it anymore. And Jesus said, now you tell me, which of these three 
is closest to the kingdom of God. See, Jesus upsets our notions of who's my neighbor. It doesn't have to do with proximity or politics or religion. Do you notice when he says, who's my neighbor? The guy can't even answer in verse 13. He can't even say Samaritan. It so feels bad coming off his lips, so he just says, the one who had mercy on him, I guess. Ah, Who's your neighbor in New Jersey? The people across the street, those in proximity? Or are your eyes open to the wider needs that God puts in your daily path? This is a challenge to some of you who object to Christianity because you think, if I become a Christian, it means I'm going to be very narrow-minded. It means I'm going to be very restrictive. No, just the opposite. Authentic biblical Christianity broadens your world. It opens your perspective. Because with neighbor defined this way, Jesus just demolishes the conventional definition of, oh, it's someone just like me. Now, I'll give you an honest confession. When I was preparing this message to share with you on Tuesday, I wasn't feeling it, okay, at first. I I grew up in the church. I've heard the story of the Good Samaritan a hundred times. And the job of a preacher is kind of strange. I know some of you are like, what do you even do, actually? Like, you know, like, put down a few thoughts and then, like, pray in the back. And I don't know. And then, blah, 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 you know, I don't, you don't know. Here's what a preacher does. You take a text and you try to figure out, hey, what what did this mean in the ancient world, the original context? And then how does it apply 2,000 years later? And then you have to pray and say, God, would you help me to feel it here Because many times the best sermons that God preaches, he preaches to the preacher first. So on Wednesday, I'm outlining this message, and I said, God, would you just open up my eyes? Because I'm a pastor, and that means like in this story, I'm closest to the priest, right? (laughs) Oh, boy. And and I'm blessed, all right? I have a nice home. It's modest, but it's comfortable. My kids are in good schools. Our basic needs are met and more. We go on vacation. But I'm like, I don't want to be blind, God. I don't want to miss the broader needs of my my world that you're calling me to. So I made a dangerous prayer. I said, would you help me feel this, Lord, at a heart level? Dangerous prayer. So after I pray this, I uh, actually left to drive the Scotch Plains to go meet with Pastor Chris and his team at Evangel. And I come down Route 22, which is Jersey's highway to hell. I don't know how else to say. Have you been on Route 22? Oh, my gosh. It's like the Valley of Ashes from Gatsby. So I'm, I'm driving down Route 22, and I come on Terrell Road, and I'm 10 minutes late. You know why I'm 10 minutes late? Because I stopped to worship at St. Arbuck's. I gave them my... I paid my daily tithe, $5. Oh, thank you. Bless, you know, communion. I did the whole thing. And I, I, I'm like, oh, I'm 10 minutes. Why is all this traffic? And I look, and I start looking, and there's some guys on the side of the road. It's a guy. He's got an old beater Buick Skylark, like 20 years old, and it's broken down. There's steam coming out of the hood. I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes, you know? I'm late to the church meeting. I'm 10, already late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not seeing it, right? I'm not seeing it. So I pass by, and now the guy's getting out of his car. He's got his, you know, door open in the traffic, so people are, like, trying to get around him. And I'm like, I can't believe this. Too. And I look, and as I drive by, I see it's actually a guy. He's about 60 or 70. He's an African-American man, and he's fumbling with one of those old cell phones. Like, it's not an iPhone. It's like the flip. Like, some of you have it. I'm sorry. But the flip. <laughs> he, and he's fumbling with this thing, and he has two earbuds coming out. I'm thinking, this guy's, like, listening to music. you got to be kidding me. But then I see they're hearing aids, Okay. And as I go around, I see, and he has duct tape holding the hood of his car. And so I go around him, and I'm just like, man, I'm late to church here, okay? I got a church meeting. We're doing a Jesus Love Jersey thing. Man, heard of it, yeah? And I'm like, I, and I start thinking about Luke 10. And I'm like, Lord, no, 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 no. I, I don't live here, okay? 
I don't even know this guy. Stranger danger, okay? Like I tell the kids. And somewhere I hear a horn honk, and then I hear a rooster crow, and I'm like, no, you know? And so I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes, all right. Mm, and I pull a U-turn, and I head back. And so I pull over, and I, you know, ju- you know get across the streets like Frogger. I spill my latte. No, you know, it's like... I go, hey, what's going on, man? I said, what, what's happening? He said, oh, I, th- I think it's the fuel pump. You know, I said, I'm, sorry, what's your name? I'm Tim. What's your name? And he said, my name is Pickney. And Pickney lives in Plainfield. And so I looked at his hood, and I see it's duct tape, and I'm clearly lower-income individual. And I said, you know, what's going to happen? He said, well, I just called someone, but I don't know if it went through, if they're going to come. And I'm like, oh, for heaven. And I'm just like, what, do I, what am I going to do, lay hands on his hood? Like, I got nothing. <laughs> And that's what I see. There's an Exxon station across the street, and they're just opening up. The mechanics are opening up the garage. So I said, wait here. And I run over. I explain the situation to the station manager. I said, guy's broken down. He said, oh, yeah, I saw him. And I go, well, can we, can we like, help push his car over here to the service station? He said, sorry. He said, we, it's, it's against the law. You can't actually push the car across the street. You'd have to call a tow truck. I'm like, is that your tow truck? Right here, like five feet away? He says, yeah, it is. Now I'm 15 minutes late. I'm like, well, is it possible we could get the tow truck to help, you know, Pickney? And he says, yeah, no problem. Who's paying for it? (sighs) So I said, I'm I'm paying for it. He goes, okay. And he takes out a form. He's like, what's your name? I'm like, Sam. Sam Samaritan, okay? My name is, you know. (laughs) See, the gospel of Jesus is inconvenient. If you take it literally, it's very inconvenient. Because it's this big idea that you and I are dead in our sin. We're broken down on the side of the road with no way of making our way back to God until Jesus comes and pays our debt. And this idea that I'm going to pay a stranger's debt, come on. That's another story, or is it? Is it maybe just the story we just read? Because the text says that the Samaritan paid two denarii, two days' wages to the innkeeper. And what we learn is that compassion always has a cost. Insight number three. How much? It costs about as much as a tow truck in New Jersey. So I say to the guy, I go, uh, all right, how much is a tow truck? And he actually says to me, he goes, not as much as the fuel pump. You going to pay for that too? And I'm like, oh, man, it's one thing to feel it here. It's another to feel it here, you know? That's why God wants, he's not, he's after our heart, so he comes in through our wallet sometimes. And I start calculating in my head, I'm like, what's our monthly budget at home? How am I going to explain this to my wife? It's going to come up on our debit card, like, oh, I just bought some stranger a fuel pump. Like, I don't know. I go, yeah, I got the fuel pump too. Compassion has a cost. But let me tell you something. It is worth every penny, Jesus says. Because the word of God is called the word of God for a reason. When you hear God speaking his word to you, you have to obey immediately because you will be tempted to rationalize it away. When God's word penetrates your heart, it upsets your apple cart. The gospel actually flips suburban status quo living on its head. Because the idea of following Jesus, it's not just like safety net for heaven. It's an adventure on earth. And his Holy Spirit will prompt you, and if your heart is soft, you're going to find yourself crossing the street, dodging traffic, making friends with people like Pickney from Plainfield, who really appreciated the help. He's like, why why, why are you doing this? Why are you helping? I was like, well, I'm I'm a pastor. I follow Jesus. He's like, no crap. That's amazing. (laughs) I wasn't feeling this on Tuesday. I feel it now. See, Christian compassion has a cost. And when God tells you to do something, it's one thing to hear the word of God. It's another to heed it. I'm going to say that again. I believe someone needs to hear that. 
It is one thing for you to hear the word of God. It's another to heed the word of God, to live it out in real life when you leave these church walls. When you leave today and you represent the king who not only crosses the road, but carries a cross to pay your debt. See, the good Samaritan points to the great Samaritan. Jesus Christ, who with great compassion, he sees our need, he sees our brokenness of our lives. No way of getting back to God. He's moved with love. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son to die on a cross, to pay our bill. And it cost him his life. Jesus Christ is the great Samaritan to whom the good Samaritan points and in whose loving footsteps you and I now walk. And that's what it means to be a neighbor, to be a disciple. Your world actually opens up. It expands. It becomes radically generous. As God's grace opens your heart to the least and the last, you realize, oh, my neighbor, that's anybody in need who the Father puts in my path. So do you have Christ's compassion? If so, what does it cost you? That's what these outreaches are about, guys. It's about sharing the compassion of Christ to our neighbors all over our state, many people who you may not identify with, the homeless in Newark and Patterson, the hungry in Plainfield and Morristown, the, the hurting in Seaside and Atlantic City. And let me tell you something, it's going to cost us something as a church. I mentioned this last week. We want to be a generous church. I know we do a lot of stuff for our families and our own kids inside these church walls, and that's awesome. But you should know, every year... We automatically deduct, we cut 10% out of our annual budget and send it right back into the community to help people on the margins who can't possibly pay us back. Single moms, immigrant families, kids who need coats in the winter. We serve meals for veterans, the homeless, those with HIV, because that's part of the vision of our church. We want to look beyond the church walls and show Christ's love in practical ways, no strings attached. And radical generosity is powerful. Some people... They're not just touched. They actually come to Christ because they see God's love for the first time. You're going to meet somebody in just a minute. But to me, when we give 10% of our annual budget to people who can't pay us back, it's the wisest investment we could make. Could you imagine walking into your place of employment tomorrow and saying, hey, I got a great idea for this uh, year's annual budget. I know things are a little tight. Let's give away 10% with no return whatsoever. I believe God honors that because it reflects his heart. So Monday, I'm in a meeting and, and, and with Pastor Dave. He's our executive pastor. He says, hey, good news. He said, a lot of churches are jumping on board. More than we expected. We've got all these outreach opportunities. He said, but here's the, pr- and we're running point on it. We're helping organize the churches, kind of quarterbacking. It's an investment. And Dave says, hey, I just want you to know, Tim, that um, if we do all of these projects, our generosity this year is not going to be 10% of our annual budget. It's going to be up around 12 or 13%. And that's a big deal. You may have heard, we renovated a building recently, all right? <laughs> it was expensive, and we were on a pretty tight ministry budget. And you know what? This is that moment where nobody knows. We could say, no, 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 we want to build a bigger cushion and limit, you know, what we do in our cities. We want to cut back on outreach. But following Christ isn't about comfort, is it? It's actually about carrying a cross. Somebody said, you can live a life of comfort or you can live a life of compassion, but you can't live both. Compassion always has a cost. So I said, well, we're doing it. I said, we that's what it, that we will up the generosity of 12, 13% this year and send it back out into the community to serve families with special needs, inner city kids, because we are church. If everything's at the end of the day, Jesus comes back, I don't want to have anything left. I'm going to be like, we poured it all out. I want to be known that we were people who we not just heard the word of God, but we heeded it. Amen? And so I want to challenge some of you to stand with me and increase your generosity this fall. Take me up on what I'm calling a generosity challenge. 
That means if you tithe, there are some people in the church who tithe, they give a 10% of their income back to God. I know, some of you are like, that's crazy. I know. First off, if you tithe, you have my sincere thanks. The only reason we're able to even do this kind of stuff, this kind of amazing stuff, is because of your faithfulness. Thank you. But I want to challenge a new group of people today. There are some of you who I know this year, God has poured out huge blessing on you. I get that. In fact, you may feel a little awkward because you're like, man, I see all these stories of hardship. I'm just the opposite, man. God has blessed me. It's because he trusts you. He trusts you. That's awesome. Can I challenge you to increase your generosity level to 12 or 13% this fall? To up the ante and honor God with open hands. See what he does. And I'm I'm saying this not because we're in some sort of need or emergency crisis. That's not why I'm asking. I'm asking because I learned this week, you know, compassion has a personal cost. And if it doesn't cost you anything, then God doesn't actually count it. So I'm going to challenge 100 people across all our campuses to raise their level of giving to 2 or 3% this fall, above what you're doing now. Because God's not after your money. He just wants more of your heart. He trusts you. And he's asking you to be generous. If you're not giving, if you're like, well, I've never even given before, awesome. Would you mind, why don't you start? Get involved in this or catch up. Give this fall in a systematic way so that you can share in the joy of what's happening. In your envelope today, or in your program, we put this envelope. We do it every week, but I call it out once a fall because you need to know this is an offering envelope. It's postage paid. And today, I don't want you to put anything in it. If you want to take me up on this generosity challenge, would you simply write your name and write the word generous on the out of the envelope, the outside, and just drop it in the bucket on your way out today. If you're going to serve, drop that in the bucket. But I want to email you. I want to thank you. I want to tell you some some of the other cool stuff that's happening. I actually have a, a little surprise to send you as well. Talk to you about it as a family. I want, I, want to, I want to show this to you why this makes a difference. Watch. When you look at this guy who's battered and broken and beaten and bruised on the side of the road, I don't see him as a man. I think he's, in my mind's eye, he's a woman. Because I spent time this week with my friend Phyllis. Do you guys know Phyllis Adams? She's one of the coolest leaders in our church. Would you welcome Phyllis Adams? Come on, Phyllis, come on out. She's a rock star. Give him her hand. Big hand, big hand, people. Phyllis. Phyllis and I were talking about this, and she was like, yeah, the, the, the beaten and, and bruised man on the side of the road. For you, in your work at Women Aware, it actually represents women who've been bruised and battered. Tell us about Women Aware. Yes, absolutely. Women Aware is the domestic violence agency serving Middlesex County. We have a shelter. We have a, ho- a hotline. And yes, the, the women that, and children that we serve are bruised and battered and broken. Yeah. You said over 70,000 cases of domestic abuse in New Jersey. Is that right? Yep. Every year. Yes, approximately 70,000 individuals are impacted by domestic violence. Actually, they're reported arrests by the New Jersey State Police. So what's interesting is Phyllis and I didn't know each other three years ago. But she was contacted by our church because we said, how could we help, particularly like in this case, women who need a, a hand in their children, a safe house, and Pastor Mike Leahy was the first guy you met. Tell us about that meeting. <laughs> all right, all of you know Pastor Mike. I did not. I didn't know anybody at Liquid. And so this tall, blonde, I want to say surfer pastor, <laughs> comes to our door. And I'm thinking, who is this guy and what is he doing in my building? Um, one of my staff members, Yesenia, was a member of Liquid, and she had said to me that the church may want to do something for women aware, and she asked if it would be okay if the pastor came over. So I said yes, <laughs> and, and he, he had did. kind of a crazy question for you. <laughs> he did. He asked me um, what I would like done, what, what we needed done. 
And I said to him, what would I like to have done or what, would, what do I dream about? And he said, no, tell me what you dream about. So I gave him a very long list of all the things that I thought needed to, you know, be dealt with at Women Aware. And he came back a week later and he said, done. Now, this is June 2010 mm-hmm. and the men in our church stood up. This is incredible. Thank you, men. What did they do at our man-made outreach? It's really hard to describe because I'm trying to describe a miracle. And the best way that I could say it is that Women Aware um, was in Liquid's path. And so over 200 men came out over the 4th of July weekend and renovated the entire, both facilities. They painted. They repaired the, the siding. They repaired the sidewalks. They repaired a retaining wall. They actually um, remodeled our children's playground. Now, this is significant to me because this is the backyard, and you're like, well, what is a playground at a battered women's shelter? Mm-hmm. Many of the people you serve actually are children, particularly boys. Tell us about that. Yeah, we, the, the majority of people that we serve are, are children, and we try to normalize their lives as much as possible and give them a chance to be outside and, and play. And they built a privacy fence so our clients would be protected while they were outside. You know, a battered women's shelter exists for one reason. It's because men abuse their God-given strength. And the idea of the church is we reverse that. We show what happens when godly men use their God-given strength on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. What was the impact on your clients and staff as they saw this transformation? Well, the men came out, and they brought their children. And it was absolutely beautiful. Earlier when I talked about our services... I talked about the fact that we serve battered women and children, but it's also a feeling of of being alone. And these men came out, and they were our Good Samaritans. They helped women and children they had never met or harmed. I love that picture of this little guy, man. He's like, incredible Hulk. Um, The cool thing is this, guys. Sometimes people think, well, these are, you know, one-and-done kind of project. But this is 2010, and our relationship began developing. And in fact, it was just last year, you had a kitchen that needed renovating. What happened there? Yeah, sure. A couple of the guys have stayed connected, and one of them is Mike Padden. And Mike Padden basically has said to me over the years, whatever you need, we're here for you. So I was in the middle of a kitchen renovation project, and as many of you can imagine, I ran out of money pretty quickly. (laughs) So um, I got a call from Mike out of the blue, and he said, you know what? I'd like to help you finish that project. Can I gather up a group of people? And he sure did, and he made it happen. As a result, we serve over 25,000 meals in that kitchen annually. That is, can we hear for that? That's amazing. That's amazing. That's the difference that a partnership makes. Last, last point, last point. Partnerships are productive. Do you, do, you, do you see what's happening here in this story of the Good Samaritan? In other words, he doesn't just care for the short-term needs of the man. He, he, he bandages his wounds. But then he says, I'm going to give two days' wages to the innkeeper to provide for his long-term recovery. And that's the idea of our partnerships. Our church wants to invest in organizations who have the facilities and expertise to provide for some of the long-term care of people. Because domestic abuse, there's a lot of complexities that go into that. But that's the philosophy of our church. We don't want to start a separate food pantry or sheltering people. We want to identify organizations like Women Aware and come alongside and speed their mission and those extra expenses that maybe they could not afford. We did that with Elijah's Promise also down in New Brunswick. This is a, uh, the, the city's largest uh, um, soup kitchen. They provide food, thousands of meals every year. This is their cafeteria, by the way, where they you know, um, serve meals and obviously not, no frills. And we said, what would your dream be? What can't you afford? And they said, well, you know what? The poor can't afford meals, but they deserve dignity. 
Is there a way that we could up the level of, of the service here so that they actually don't feel stigmatized? That's almost more like going to a restaurant. And so Liquid Church volunteers, let me show you. This is before. Let me show you after. Just because someone's poor doesn't mean they don't deserve dignity. Amen? Partnerships are productive. Before and after, we invest muscle and money to elevate the poor needy in our state. So that's what we're doing. We're going to be serving at a number of these organizations. And again, I'll send you a link about this. But here's how I want to close. This got real personal for you, right, Phyllis? We're in 2013. And tell us what has happened in your personal spiritual life since coming in contact with our, our team of volunteers. Thank you. As I said, it was a miracle. And what it, what it did for me was it really melted my heart. And it let me know that God did care about these women and children, and he cared about me, me as well. So I started coming to church with Yesenia and her husband, Albie. And uh, I was baptized so in 2010. Yeah. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, give her a hand. <laughs> For any of you that are, are contemplating it, I really recommend it. The water is really warm. I think they had to kind of push me out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but that represents a lot. You got involved in life groups and serving. Yes. The cool thing is we've actually had a, a woman after one of our services. She was in, very distraught, in tears, actually almost suicidal. She was in an abusive situation. Approached one of our pastors and said, hey, you know, I need help. And she's very upset. And we have 10 minutes, you know, between services. You know, what are we going to do? We said, I wish there was someone we could talk to. And Phyllis walks in the room and was like, oh, Phyllis Adams. And uh, no, literally, that's the cool thing. Because when you reach out and partner in the community, they begin affecting the church too. So can we thank Phyllis and her leadership for all that you do? We're grateful for you, Phyllis. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope you see the incredible work that God is doing through you. He's doing it through your generosity through what you, you've been given and what you're generously giving back, through the time, through your family getting involved. And that's our, that's our vision. We want to spread Christ's compassion across our state so the hungry are fed, the forgotten love, the broken healed. And so I want to end with that challenge, final challenge, one of these two steps to take. Either A, sign up to serve today. If you did not do that last week, why not? You've got to get involved. Jump on that. Um, you will actually get this T-shirt for signing up to serve. Some, I had a bunch of people who like, how do I get that T-shirt? You sign up to serve, okay? That's how we do it, folks. Just drop your name there in our email. I'll send you that link today. And notice the second box there says volunteering at Liquid Kids at Mountainside. This is important. You should know this. Right now, our Liquid Mountainside is doing rehearsal services. Their grand opening is on October 6th. And we're starting with four services, 9 and 11, 4 and 6 p.m. And they really need some short-term help at those evening services, especially the 4 o'clock. So if you serve, maybe you volunteer at your campus, you know, couple of times a month or whatever, would you be willing to go over once or twice in October and November to help out the 4 p.m.? I signed up for this. I'm going to be serving in the nursery. I'm changing diapers at 4 p.m. Uh, at Mountainside, okay? Yeah, I know. Come, I'll change your diaper. It's going to be an amazing... <laughs> Sign up, okay? Uh, we were going to serve here in Morristown. We'll go over in the evening. So check one box or both. And then secondly, who are the 100 people? God's talking to you to get involved financially this fall and receive this generosity challenge. We're increasing our annual giving to 12, 13% as a church, and I want to challenge you to do the same thing. If you're considering that, would you just write generosity on the envelope? Stick that in the bucket as we go out. I can't think of anything more significant you could give to. This is about sending, building the kingdom of God in word and deed. We're going to be investing in organizations like Women Aware and about 20 others. Take a look at that online. So let me do this. I want to pray and thank God for what he's doing, and then we'll dismiss. Father God, right now as we bow our heads, we're quieting ourselves down, Lord. Speak. We're listening, God. What have you spoken to us today? God, you were speaking to me 
on that morning in Plainfield, and God, I think that's happening a lot, but I'm just too blind and deaf to hear or see it. Thanks for opening my eyes for a minute. Would you open the eyes of our church now, God? May we not just be hearers of your word, but heed it. Take it to heart. Sacrifice. Get in on the joy of what you're doing in the garden state. Father, I pray right now for the men, women, and children who are volunteering. Would you put your spirit on them, Lord? Let it be just out of grace and out of the compassion of what you've shown us. Father, I pray that you'll put their hand on the people who are giving generously, Lord. Bless them. Lord, let them know how pleased you are with the way they're treating the money you've given them. And God, I pray for our partner churches. Would you bless Evangel and Hawthorne and other churches, Lord, who are just reaching out the love of Christ. May people see Jesus and be drawn to him. We ask that in his name. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.